Good to be with you guys. I'm excited about tonight. Uh, I really feel like the Lord has a word. I'm excited to dig into the word. I make no bones about it. I love the word of God. Uh, I truly believe that it is an honor and a privilege to share with you uh, this evening uh, just the, the living and active word. I really believe the Lord is up to something in 2023. So I've actually titled this message, Regaining Ground in 2023. I, I really believe, for me, for me, in my family anyways, it was like 2022 was hold the line. And I felt like it was just, okay, I've got to protect my family. We've got to hold the line. Hold on, guys. Hold on. I know we're getting anxious. Let's hold the line. Hold the line. And the Lord says in 2023, it's time to regain the ground. And so we're going to go after it. And so I want to, yes, I want to encourage you guys. I want to inspire you guys. And I really want to just, just pour into you tonight so that you can be fully equipped to actually go out and leave these doors and regain some ground for your families, for your relationships, for your money, for your jobs, for your companies, whatever it is, regain the ground for the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bible says that we're more than conquerors. I love that because we're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. In other words, right? No situation in life can, can actually defeat or dilute God's love for us. God's love and power work for us to be victorious in every area of our lives. I promise you that every area of your life, be it your family, be it your money, be it your job, whatever area, I believe when you invite Jesus into that, he will do something powerful. Yeah. So grab your Bibles, because we're going to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to read to you the first four verses. And as you're grabbing your Bibles or you're getting ready to look up on the screens because we're going to post it up there, I just want to say a quick prayer. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness this year. Lord, we experienced healing this year as we heard testimony after testimony of people being healed in this very building. Lord, we experienced salvations as we saw individuals raise their hand and give their life to you throughout this last year. It was amazing, Lord. Your goodness has shined forth, and we are grateful for it. And so, Father, just prepare our hearts and our minds for a fresh start in 2023. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read to you the first four verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now, He's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives and your struggle against sin. Amen. Listen, the world is looking for heroes. The world is looking for heroes. The political and the war heroes of our day and of the past have made great impact and they brought about great change. The entertainers of, our, of the past and of our day, you know, the, the movie stars, the hip hop artists, the sports figures, they've really captured the heart of many people. But this pales in comparison. These icons pale in comparison when it comes to the influence of spiritual heroes. 
And I want to charge you this evening that you are called to be a spiritual hero in the name of Jesus. And I honestly believe that God is mobilizing men and women, spiritual heroes, young and old, who recognize who they are in Christ and their purpose and who are not willing to give up so that we can display to the world the ultimate hero, Jesus. Listen, if we're going to regain ground in 2023, then we need to be able to focus on the vision that God has given us. We got to focus on the vision that God has given us. In Psalm 37, 4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And this is what I've learned in life, in my experience, in my walk with the Lord, I've noticed that the more that I delight myself in the Lord, the more that I spend time with Jesus, the more that I'm hanging out with Jesus, my friend, my savior, my king, the more my desires begin to conform to his heart. You know, I still remember being in school and as the teacher's, you know, teaching and I'm daydreaming about being a rock star. You know, like, yeah, that's what I want to do. It was a desire of my heart. But when, as I began to spend time with the Lord, I began to realize and that began to conform, that been the form and, and my desires began to change. And then I wanted to make a difference for the kingdom of God and not just be such, some cool rock star. The more and more I spend time with Jesus, the more and more he starts to change the desires of my heart. And I begin to get a clear God vision for my family, for my city, for my spouse, for my money. So in order for us to, to, to focus properly, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what it says in the passage we just read. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one that brings true health and fruitfulness and prosperity and, to, and success and everything we do. Jesus is the healing power and the healing, uh, the deliverer from oppression. Jesus cleanses us. Jesus hidden in our heart keeps us from sin. Jesus is our counselor. He's our source of strength. Jesus gives life. Jesus is our source of illumination and guidance. And let me say this. I believe that this message today is for us who seem to be prone to growing weary and losing heart. Philippians 1.6, I'm persuaded of this. God has begun an amazing work in every last one of us here today. And he is in it for the long haul. He is going to continue to work until Christ returns. And it says in the passage that we just read in Hebrews chapter 12 that, excuse me, that Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He didn't get us this far to abandon us. No, he's in it for the long haul. And when you read through the stories of, of, of each of the greats in the Bible, right? You start at Genesis and you start reading through and you start reading about these amazing men and women. I love how God highlights not only the amazing things that they did, but he also shows you what it looks like when men and women, just like you and me, choose to follow a big God. Moses went from being a prince to a fugitive to a shepherd to an amazing leader. Gideon went from hiding to being a fearless leader. Esther went from being an orphan, fatherless, to being a queen. David went from being this teen shepherd to being the king of Israel. Matthew went from being this tax collector, constantly taking, to being a life giver. And Paul went from being this ruthless religious leader to being a radical Christ lover. That's what happens when you allow a big God to get a hold of your life. And now we're all in the process. 
right? We're, we're, each of us are in this different place in our journey with the Lord, but we need to understand that God is taking us somewhere. He's not leaving us somewhere. I recently watched a, a YouTube video. I don't know how you guys do this, but if I get on Instagram or YouTube, I get sucked in for like, I don't know, three hours. And I'm like, what just happened to the last three hours of my life? Like, how did I do this? I just, and I, I typically see it and I laugh and I send them to Ian. I'm like, oh, Ian would love that. That was, yeah. And, so, and then he like laughs and sends me these and I'm like, okay, that's inappropriate, Ian. I'm not. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm watching this YouTube video and I, I'm just kind of excited because it's about lion tamers. And I'm like, wow. And so I'm watching this video and there's two lion tamers in this enclosure. And, and, and behind this really thick piece of glass is the audience, and they're kind of looking on. So you got these two individuals in there, and you can hear the crowd going, ooh, ah, oh, wow, that's amazing, wow. And, and the crowd's just, just going crazy, right? And then all of a sudden, you see one of the lions start to get a little agitated. And you're looking at the lion tamers like, is this supposed to happen? Like, and so you can see the fear on one of the lion tame, tamers' face, and he actually goes out of the video. You don't see him anymore, but it looks like he's about to bounce and get the heck out of that enclosure because something's <laughs> about to happen. And, and, and the people then begin to change. You're like, oh my goodness. And you see this lion, and he gets more and more agitated. And then he runs outside of the camera. You can't see anything. All you can hear is the audience just going, oh my, and you're like, what just happened? And so like, okay, I got sucked in. I'm like, why become a lion tamer? So I was intrigued by this. And so I started doing some research and I'm like, uh, what are these animal tamers? Why do they do this? I can't understand for the life of me why they would do this. And so in my research, I came across a lion tamer by the name of Clyde Beatty. And Clyde Beatty is one of the renowned, very well-known lion tamers of his day. He started at a very young age, and he was involved in the circus, and he started out as a cage cleaner. He was just cleaning cages, but he eventually became a very renowned entertainer, and he was famous for his fighting act where he would actually tame scary animals. In fact, there was one time where he brought in lions and tigers and cougars and hyenas into the circus ring all at one time, and he tamed the entire group. Now, here's the crazy thing. Most lion tamers died pretty early on in life. <laughs> but, but not Clyde Beatty. Now, he died in his late 60s, and, and, and although that's not a super long life, he actually died from cancer. He didn't die from being mauled by a lion. And there was something that Clyde did that actually saved his life as a lion tamer. In fact, it actually revolutionized the entire lion taming industry. This is, I'm in my second hour sucked into YouTube, okay? So here I am. And, and what was different about Clyde? Well, when Clyde was in the ring with the lion, he held a whip in one hand. And the whip was not for the lion. A lion against a whip, it's not going to happen. You're done, buddy. Move on. But the lion was for the, the audience. And as he was, you know, whip it and there would be that slap, the audience would be like, oh. You know, but then in the other hand, he held a chair. And the chair had four legs, and he would hold it in front of the lion's face. You can kind of see it on the video here. There in his left hand, he had the chair. And what happened was, is the lion began to become confused. The lion was trying to focus on each of the legs of the chair all at one time, and it basically froze the lion to where he didn't know what to do. And so rather than attacking, he just froze. And that's how he was able to do it. It revolutionized the entire uh, lion taming community. I don't know how big that community is, but people are like, oh, that's a good idea. And so they begin to use that. And here's, here's what I'm saying. My whole point is this. It's so 
easy to become distracted with the things that are going around that we freeze and we can't gain ground. And I'm telling you, the Lord wants us to regain the ground in 2023 and we have to learn how to focus. We can't be distracted by every leg that's in front of our face. We've got to focus on not the chair or the situation, but on Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it hard to focus. And in the story we just read, the author of Hebrews is using the imagery of a long distance race. How many of you know the Christian life is more of a marathon than a sprint, right? So he's using this imagery of a long distance race to challenge his audience to continue in their commitment to Christ in spite of everything else going on around them in life. And rather than losing focus and drifting away from Christ, they needed to run the race with endurance. And he was inspiring them. And he was encouraging them to look at the many people who lived before them who endured in faith. And when you go back in the, in the book of Hebrews to chapter 11, a lot of us call chapter 11 the hall of faith because it's filled with men and women who had such radical faith for God. He did such radical things. Abel, by faith, brought his first fruits to Jesus or to God. By faith, Enoch was taken up by God without experiencing death. It was Noah who trusted God and built an ark. When everybody else is like, are you crazy? What is going on here? Noah continued because he trusted God by faith. Abel Abraham left everything he knew to serve a God he wanted to know more and more about. And it was by faith, it says in Hebrews 11, that Sarah gave birth to a son in old age because she trusted God and his promises. And these are the individuals that the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, this is the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on. They've done it. Allow their story to encourage you and to inspire you to continue on in the race that I've called you to. We are going to regain some ground in 2023, church. The list in Hebrews 11 goes on and on about men and women of God who kept their focus on God despite all the craziness. And you know what? Read through that chapter, I dare you, because all the beautiful stories I just gave you, there's some really radical stories where people were getting their limbs ripped off for trusting in God. Those are the ones we don't really like to speak of because it's not very encouraging and inspiring. But nonetheless, they gave their life to, to, to God because they truly believed it was the right thing to do. And God showed up in radical ways. And I'm telling you right now, they're celebrating with us right now today with God in heaven. If you begin to make history with God, I promise you, he will begin to make history with you. And the reason many of us have grown weary and are having a hard time, you know, getting through life is because we lack vision. It's easy to get caught up in the mundane task of everyday life, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's fun now, you know, but wait until we start getting back into the hustle and bustle of things. And you're like, oh, I got to get up and I got to go to work. Okay, I got to get dinner done. I got to do this. Oh my gosh, the kids have to go to bed. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, just all kinds of things just coming at you. And it's so easy just to become distracted and lose focus of the vision that God has given us. And so I want to share just with you a few things that I believe will help us run the race of life that God has called us to and stay focused. There are so many things that can grab our attention and cause us to lose focus. And we don't even realize it. But if we, can, if we can grab a hold of some of these things that I want to talk to you about tonight, I really believe it'll help us to keep focused on what God has called us to do. Number one, cut and run. Cut and run. run. When I was in the military, I learned several nautical terms. 
in words. You know, like, I'm like, what, bulkhead? It's a wall? Why would you call it bulkhead? I don't understand. Like, scuttlebutt was a, a drinking fountain. Um, you know, hey, you got to swab the deck. You got to what? Yeah, mop the floor. Okay, got it. Okay. But there was one in particular that caught my attention, and it was cut and run. And it was an old nautical term that they used. And essentially what would happen is you'd have a ship that was, uh, you know, anchored out off the coast a little bit. And if there was immediate danger immediate danger like a hurricane was coming in or the enemy was coming in and they needed to get out of there very, very, very quickly, the captain would call out and yell, cut and run. They didn't have time to bring the anchor in. And so they literally had to cut the anchor so that the anchor would fall down, chain and anchor would hit the bottom of the ocean floor and they would get underway as quick as possible to avoid immediate danger. And this is what I'm saying. There may be things in your life where you need to say, cut and run. It's time to get out of Dodge. I am not going to stand in front of this enemy right now. I'm not going to take the hurricane. I am getting out of here. Maybe you remember Potiphar and his, his wife. And there's Joseph day after day. He's having to deal with this. You know, his, his, she's constantly hitting on him. She's constantly, you know, uh, teasing him. And he's, and he's trying to avoid it at all costs. And he gets caught in the middle of something where he literally has to cut and run. And he gets the heck out of Dodge. Unfortunately, he was exposed because he was found naked, but he didn't care. I didn't care to be exposed. I didn't want to get caught up in that. I serve a God who is big. I don't want to disappoint my God. I serve my boss, Potiphar. I don't want to disappoint Potiphar. Joseph had the right perspective. Cut and run. James 4, 7 through 8 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, if we are going to stay focused and regain ground by running the, great, the, the race that God has called for us, then we may need to cut and run. And I don't know what that looks like for you. That's between you and the Lord. I've got my own things that I'm dealing with. There's some things that I probably need to cut. There are some things that I need to cut and run in order to regain ground in 2023. So not only do we need to cut and run, but we also need to lose some dead weight. Now, I know what you're thinking. 2023, you want me to lose 20 pounds? That's not what I'm talking about, although that's a really good idea for me anyways. I'm going to give it a shot. But I want you to notice what this passage says. It's not just sin that'll hold us back. It's not, it says, but we are to strip off every weight that slows us down. You notice it uses two different words, every weight and the sin that so easily entrips us. The weight that slows us down. There are things in life that aren't sin things that limit us or slow us down. There, these, these weights, they bring limitations that keep us from truly running effectively the race that God has called us. Sometimes our choices aren't about wrong or right, bad or good. Sometimes our choices are between what may limit us and what may propel us. One commentator made a point to say the idea behind the weight that's spoken of here is that it's like an arrow tip in us. It could be translated, get rid of the arrow tip in us. It's a wound that, that weighs us down and it keeps us from gaining ground. We can't run the race that God has called us to because we're wounded and we've got to pull the arrow out of us and allow God to heal that so that we can truly run the race that God has called us to. How many of you have seen the movie Jaws? 
Jaws, you guys have seen that. Yeah, it's an old one. It's an old school one. So if, if I think it's rated R. Like, I didn't know that, and I started sharing that. I'm like, wait, should I tell people to watch that? I don't know. So be careful. Uh, but Jaws was a great movie. There's these, there's these guys that are on a boat out in the middle of the ocean, right? These are fishermen, and they're, they're doing the guy thing. They're, they're smoking stogies, and they're drinking, like, scotch or something, and they're talking about, like, the past. They're reminiscing, right? One guy pulls up his pant leg, and he says, hey, look at this scar. It was an eel who ripped through my wetsuit one time. And they're like, wow. Another guy pulls up his pant leg and, he, and he's like, look at that scar. That was a massive shark that almost took my leg off. And they're all like, wow. And then there's one other guy that, that he, he pulls down his t-shirt right up down below his heart. And he says, look at this, guys. And they all look in and they see Mary Ellen Moffat. You know, sometimes the emotional pains of life far outweigh the physical pains that we pick up. A weight could be something that someone else has done to hurt us, and we're holding on to it. It could be an offense, something that some, someone did to us that brought about pain. And one of the things that I've noticed lately in, in, in our culture is that everybody's like offended in everything we do. Like I've got to walk on glass, like eggshells just to, to not offend somebody. Everybody is offended and too many times we can't move forward because we're stuck in the mud and slush of offense. And we live in this age of offense and everyone is a, fic, uh, a victim and victimhood has gone viral and, and being offended is no longer this flaw on your character. No, it's your constitutional right to be offended, right? <laughs> it's this rampant thing that's happening in our culture, and I think it's actually seeping into our churches as well. Yeah. And it keeps us focused on the wrong things. We're looking at the four legs of the chair rather than Jesus. We've all been there. I mean, we've all been offended or hurt by the actions of somebody else, wounded by the words of somebody else, you know, some, some selfish or inappropriate behavior. behavior. You know, we, we, we get this. And, and I'm even convinced that there's, there's people, hopefully unknowingly, but they're looking for the next offense, just waiting, like they have a chip on their shoulder, just waiting. But how do we deal with the fence? And this is where I want to spend the majority of my time. And then we're going to go ahead. My last point, I promise you, is, is shorter. This is going to be the longer point. But, but how do we deal with the fence? How do, how do we respond? How do we guard our hearts while not seeking vengeance and allowing God to have the final victory? You know, I can't control what others do. I can't even control what I do, barely on a very good day. So how am I going to control what other people do? I can't control the hearts of others. I can't stop racists from hating. I can't stop sexists from degrading. I can't stop elitists from power trips. But what I can control is me on a good day. And the same is true for you. And I believe one of the greatest obstacles to spiritual flourishing, to regaining ground in 2023, to running the race that God has called us to is a lack of forgiveness in our hearts. It's like wounds in our side and we don't want to pull them out. In Colossians 3, 12 through 13, the word tells us, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. A biblical perspective on forgiveness is to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. 
And let me just say, there's a couple of things about forgiveness that I really don't believe in. There's myths out there concerning forgiveness. And so I want to myth bust a few uh, understandings of forgiveness. Number one, the first myth about forgiveness is that forgiveness is forgetting. Forgiveness is forgetting. And so over the years, I've heard this many times, and I've probably said it many times, you know, oh, just forgive and forget. And it sounds good. It's just misleading. And in my experience, absolutely impossible. And we use this verse, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more speaking of the Lord concerning us. We're like, see, remember no more. But, but I, I don't think that that's exactly what the text is talking about. Could be wrong, but I don't think God literally forgets. I think this passage is a metaphor, a word picture, and it's designed to emphasize God's gracious determination not to hold us liable for our sin. He's canceled the debt, and he's not gonna bring it back up and hold it against us ever again. That's what the passage is talking about. I like the way one person put it. He says, God's promise not to remember means he will bury our sins and not exhume the bones to beat you over the head with them. I think it's psychologically impossible to forget. Now, I, I forget a lot of things. Trust me, I do. I just, my wife's like, hey, remember we're gonna go do that one thing? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, I told you last Tuesday we were gonna go, and you said that's fine. I'm like, I do not remember. And so there are things that I do forget. But, but tell, I, I can guarantee you, if, if I said, you know what? I'm just gonna forget that. It never happens. I can't forget it. Just like comes back and creeps back up in my head. Like it's, it's psychologically impossible to forget. My forgetfulness is, is really unintentional, trust me, over the course of time, it just happens. But that's a myth. Forgetting is not, or forgiving is not forgetting. Number two, to forgive means to never feel the pain of offense again. That's a myth. That's a myth. We're not robots. We have feelings. And the only way we stop feeling is to die emotionally. You know, I, someone shared a testimony not that long ago concerning a couple who was in their church that had gone through some really rough patches. Uh, the wife had cheated on her husband and it went really bad. However, by the grace of God, they were able to work through some stuff and they were able to reconcile and come back together. It was one of those, you know, redemptive stories, beautiful redemptive stories. But the guy one day after church, he's standing on one side of the sanctuary and he looks and he sees his wife on the other side of the sanctuary and she's laughing and she's talking. He can't hear what she's saying, but she's talking to another man. And all of a sudden there's something that wells up inside of him and he begins to fear and he begins to experience this feeling again of, of she's cheating on me type thing. He wasn't wrong. He did forgive her. He did, but he didn't stop feeling the pain. And so he had to work through that. Remember you forgave her. Don't hold it against her. Don't throw it back in her face. We're going to get through this. To forgive means to never feel the pain of offense again is a myth. Number three, to forgive means we have to make it easy for the other, for the offender to hurt us again. Not true. Listen, that they may hurt us and that's their choice, okay? But we have to set boundaries in our lives and in our relationships with them so that they don't have the opportunity to hurt us again. And just because we establish rules to govern how and to what extent we interact with this person in the future doesn't mean we fail to sincerely and truly forgive them. True love never aids and abets the sin of others. And they may even say, oh, whatever. You said you forgave me. I knew you were lying. Don't fall for their manipulation. That's not true. Boundaries are good. 
Number four, forgiveness is a one-time thing. I've learned this. I've experienced this. I know it. I, I remember going through a very tragic time in a, in a church that was falling apart and, and some guys and, and had said some stuff and it would just like went straight to the heart. And, and I, I just remember walking with the Lord and asking him, help me. And he would show me how much he's forgiven me, which gave me the power to, to truly forgive them. And I told him, I forgive you. But then there was times where I would just be walking and all of a sudden those thoughts would pop back up into my head and I begin to get angry again and, and become very disoriented and bitter and like, oh, I should have punched them, you know, like, and, and, and so I had to remind myself, no, 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 you've, you've forgiven them. You've, you've forgiven them. And forgiveness isn't just this simple thing that's a one-time thing. It's like, yes, you can have that experience, that radical experience of letting somebody go. You know, you're just like, yes, I forgive them. And, and it feels good. And there's just a release. And, you know, but at the same time, things pop back up and we got to wrestle through those again. And so now I want to just encourage you on what forgiveness actually is. Forgiving like the Lord means. Number one, we understand that Jesus absorbed the painful consequences of our sin on that cross. To forgive like God means that we have to dis- excuse me, decide to live with the painful consequences of what somebody else has done to us. Now, we have to live with it anyways. We don't have a choice. It's been done. But why do we want to do it with bitterness? And, 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 and this hatred that often threatens our very soul. Number two, God forgave us in Christ by canceling the debt we owned him. God doesn't make us pay for our sin. Jesus paid for them. We can do this by promising not to bring it up to the offender again. Once we forgive to, to others or even ourselves, we joyfully resolve never to throw that sin back into their face. Oh, I know that's a tough one sometimes. You always do this. You said you forgave me. Number three, forgiving others as God forgave us means we make a decision not to seek revenge. Mm, That's a tough one sometimes. We have to refuse to let the anger and the pain energize an agenda within us. Whether it's being aggressive. I mean, some of us are aggressive. and You're like, calm down, dude, calm down. Others of us are passive aggressive. You're like, okay, you want to play games? Let's do this. Here's Facebook. You're going down. You know, like there's, that's revenge too. Vengeance is the Lord, is the Lord's, right? Number four, forgiving others as God forgave us means we determine to do good rather than evil. God forgave us by reconciling us to himself, by restoring the relationship that our sin got in the way of. And so listen, we've got to lose the dead weight if we're going to gain ground in 2023. We have to allow God to start healing our wounds and it starts with forgiveness. So not only do we need to cut and run, not only do we need to lose the dead weight in more ways than one for me, But we need to be, our why needs to be paired with God's why. Our why needs to be paired with his why. Notice with me again what the passage says about how Jesus was able to stay focused on his mission. It says, because the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. It's actually vision that gives pain a purpose. Jesus was able to endure the pain of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And in part, it was Jesus' vision of you and me coming to know him that got him through the pain 
of the cross. Jesus's why was you and me. Jesus's why is that he loved the world so much. Mark chapter 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus's heart is that we would serve one another and that we would lay down our lives for one another. Listen, I don't know what your vision is. I don't know why, what your why is, but it needs to be paired with Jesus's why if we're going to regain ground for the kingdom of God in 2023. You might say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That was Jesus' mission to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. That's not my mission. Well, let me just say this. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Anytime the cross is talked about, it's always talked about in the context of death. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've got to die to yourself. Listen, Jesus gave us an example to follow him by loving others and putting others above ourselves. And I love what Paul says. This is one of my favorite passages as well in Philippians chapter two. He says, don't be selfish. Don't don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. He says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Then he goes on to say what that is. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to. In other words, Jesus didn't come down here and said, hey, everybody stop, do what I say. I am God, I am the king here. He didn't do that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross for you and for me. Why? Because it was the joy that was set before him. His why was you and me. Now, I've heard someone say one time that biblical vision is foresight with insight that comes from his sight. Biblical vision is foresight with insight that comes from his sight. And, 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 and here's, here's one of the greatest failures in life. One of the greatest failures in life is success without God. Great, you accomplished your vision. Wonderful. I'm glad you started your business and you made it. But was that God's vision for you? Listen, our vision for our families, for our finances, for our relationships, for our businesses, for the companies that we work for, whatever it is we do, whatever vision that God has given you. I know for me, it's my kids. They're about to go off and they're graduating high school this year, which is crazy to think about. And so part of my vision is seeing them off well. I know they're staying in my house probably for another 10, 15 years. Oh my goodness. But I've got to see them off and try to get them out the door. I mean, that's my vision. I want to see them thrive. But I got to pair it with God's vision. My why has to be paired with his why. I don't want to come out and be successful. I want to come out and be kingdom successful. And so not only do we need to cut and run if we're going to stay focused, not only do we need to kill the dead weight, get the dead weight off of us, we also need to pair our why with his why. And so if I could go ahead and have the worship team come back, we're going to go ahead and end in a worship song. But while they're making their way up, I just wanted to pray for you guys. Is that okay? Awesome. If you could just stand to your feet with me.
Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your goodness this past year as we've truly focused on it. We've experienced it. It's revolutionized our hearts, Lord. And I just want to say thank you. And I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters out here tonight, Lord, that I know truly have a heart's desire to do the right thing. And so, Father, I pray that you would empower them, you would encourage them, and you would inspire them to go regain ground in 2023. Lord, I pray for the reconciliation of families. Lord, I pray for those that have been wounded, that they, would, that they wouldn't allow it to turn into bitterness, but that they would give it to you and allow you to heal their wounds. Father, I pray that 2023 would be a year of just gaining ground for everything that you've called us to. And so, Father, just bless your bride, bless your people, and I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. amen.